The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now I'd like for you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it is very good to be back in the pulpit of the Berean Baptist Church. I think that I could and, and honestly say that I don't know how long this sermon today will be. Usually I could tell you within two or three minutes how long the sermon's going to be. But it's been six weeks, folks. And you can you gather up a lot of things in six weeks. And a lot of things that you think about, a lot of things that you like to say, and if I start on everything that I'd like to say, we will be here quite a while. But I did leave here six weeks ago with this sermon on my mind, because this would be the first one that I would preach after the long trip. And I can honestly say to you, I don't want to degrade my own message, but I'll be honest with you, this is not the normal message that I would preach. Not the favorite subject, even though mothers, that's a great thing. I love to talk. I love my mother and I love to talk about mothers, but you know that's this is not normal, normal fare for me. Special days are always trouble for me. So it might have been better if we'd had Brother Dalton preach the Mother's Day sermon. But this is the text that came to my mind because I have been studying for our new series that we will begin next week. I was preparing sermons for 1 Thessalonians and working on the opening verses of that letter. That's Paul's instructions to the church at Thessalonica. And in the very beginning of that letter, Paul mentioned his missionary traveling companions. And you need to be a little bit beware right now because this may be a spoiler somewhat for the next message. You'll hear a little bit of this next week as well. But these companions of Paul on his missionary trip were Timothy and Silas. And I was looking into Timothy's background and how he came to faith in Christ and how he became a part of Paul's ministry. And in Acts chapter 16, when Paul was in his second missionary journey, he went to the cities of Derby and Lystra. These are two cities that are located in the region of Galatia. And one of those two cities, we don't know which, was it Derby or was it Lystra, but one of those two places was the birthplace or home of Timothy. The scriptures tell us that Timothy's mother was a Jew and that his father was a Greek. And it says that his mother believed, but it doesn't say that his father believed in Christ, but only that he was a Greek. And so that's an indication that his dad was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, we've all been through those scriptures in Acts 16 many times. As you know, that's the part that concerns the Philippian jailer and stories such as that. But this time, while I was thinking about Mother's Day, it was the faith of Timothy's mother that stood out. That's told to us in Acts chapter 16. And it's apparent that Timothy would not have been the man that he was without a faithful, believing mother. And then I looked at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. This was late in his life, just before he was martyred for the faith. And the very last letter that Paul wrote was written to his good friend, his protege, 
the one that he taught, that was to Timothy. And he wrote it to encourage him in the faith and to endure hardness. And you remember that scripture, to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And as he thinks on this and thinks about Timothy, he recalls the early years and how he had met Timothy. And he remembered the foundation of Timothy's faith. Now, if you would, let's read the first five verses of Paul's second letter to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1 Paul says, as he writes, that he is an apostle, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing... I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded that in thee also. There is some dispute about the time that Timothy was converted. Was he saved before Paul reached him? Or was he already saved when Paul got there and he added Timothy to his ministry after learning that Timothy was a believer in Jesus Christ? But either way that it is, we're certain of this by reading what Paul says here, that his grandmother and his mother had a profound influence on his faith. Now, getting that exact time of Timothy's conversion might be difficult for us, but one point that I do want us to think about today is that faith can be developed from a seed, a seed that is planted by godly mothers in their children. Now, here we see that Timothy's, or reading in Acts 16, we see that Timothy's father was really not much of an influence. Paul doesn't say anything about him influencing Timothy in the faith, and so he must have his father must have remained a pagan, a part of that society which left his godly mother and grandmother the task of teaching him the truth. And I want you to understand from this that Timothy's home life was much like that of children today, children in our churches, because Timothy came from a blended family. That is, he has one parent who is a believer in Jesus Christ, but the other parent doesn't believe And some of you have families like that. And there's often a strain that happens in these marriages. And there is strife in the family because there's one parent who wants to serve the Lord and wants to raise their children to fear the Lord and understand the Lord. But you have the other parent that doesn't. And so the child gets caught in the middle of that conflict. Often children are pulled back and forth in different directions by the unbeliever who doesn't want them to come to church. And I have to tell you that in that circumstance, the believing spouse must fight for the children. Now, since this life is nothing compared to eternity in hell, we don't want our children to die and go to hell. And so parents that are believers must fight for them and fight for them to bring them to church where they can hear about Jesus Christ. Now, the worst thing that a parent can do, a Christian parent or really any parent, is to say, well, we're we're, we're going to let the children decide for themselves. 
We're going to let them determine whether they want to go to church. We'll let them grow up and they'll decide whether they want to be a part of the church. Now I'll tell you that it is your duty to influence them for God. And God is going to hold you accountable if you don't do your very best to teach that child about Jesus Christ. Now looking at Timothy's background, we learn from this that there is hope for this kind of family. There, there, is, there is hope for this. There is hope for a blended family that the influence can be strong enough from that believing parent that God will reward that patience of a godly mother or a godly father to see that the children are saved. And in this case, the man, the young man was saved and became a rock, a solid rock in the early New Testament church. Now we notice in our passage, that Timothy had an unfeigned faith. That's mostly a King James word that we don't use very much today. It simply means that his faith was sincere, that it was a determined faith. It's a faith that's without hypocrisy. And so he said to Timothy, the faith that you have was first in your grandmother and then in your mother." Now, obviously, his grandmother was a mother, too. The faith was in her. She taught it to her daughter and then to Timothy. And this is a a wonderful thing that you see in this passage. It's what we might call generational faith. No doubt, Timothy's faith was taught to his children. So we might very well look at this passage and see four generations of faith in Jesus Christ. And we don't know how many others were influenced in that family by a believing mother and grandmother, just the faith that was taught by an old grandmother. And so when Paul took on Timothy as his companion, he had a young man that was solid, a man that had already learned the faith, a man that had a faith that he could build on, and that faith could be perfected. Timothy wasn't a novice in the Scriptures. The Hebrews believed this. They said, this is what we ought to do. And God said, this is what you do with your children. You teach them the Holy Scriptures. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But I'd like to take this commendation of Timothy's mother and his grandmother and make that the best basis of the message today. This is the faith of our mothers. And if you were raised by a godly mother or a godly father, you know the value their faith has for your soul. Now first today, I'd like for us to notice the reputation of a godly mother. The reputation. Well, what is reputation? Well, that's the thing that you're known for. It's the measurement, usually, of your esteem and honor. Your reputation is the thing or those things that you are known for. Recently, we had the memorial service for the oldest member of our church. Really, the oldest person that I've ever known. And that was uh, Zella Brisbane. And she was a mother that lived with, within only just a, just a few months of her 103rd birthday. And it was interesting uh, to listen to the personal remembrances of people in the congregation. And I made a remark in my eulogy that I didn't know Zella's faults. I didn't know if she had any faults. I'm sure she did, but I didn't know what they were. There wasn't anything that I could point out in Zella's life that I could say, you know, that's not like Christ. That's not what Jesus would do. Oh, she was a woman of great reputation. Her son gave me some 
information about their home and his childhood. And he mentioned his, his mother's cooking, that she was known as a good cook. He mentioned that she kept a clean home and she was known as a good housekeeper. He also talked about her love for his dad and how that she was willing to support his dad when he had projects that maybe she wasn't too sure of. He was still, she was still willing to support him. And, and I love to hear those kinds of things, that she was a faithful supporter of her husband. Those are good comments. And I know that just, just days ago, many of you heard some, I wasn't here unfortunately, but I know that many of you heard some great comments about Araceli Silva. In my estimation, Araceli was one great and faithful servant of God. I, I loved Araceli Silva. She stood behind me all the years that I've been pastor of the church, steadfastly behind me in the ministry, and she was for this church, and I'll be forever grateful for the help that she gave me through those years. But the most important thing to me as a pastor is to look at this background of faith. When did Zella come to the faith? When did Arizeli come to the faith? And did they live that faith that they proclaimed? The faith that they said they had in Christ? And I find that in both those instances, yes. The answer is absolutely yes. They live the faith of Jesus Christ. I think about Warren's uh, comments about his mother, that they were nearly the same as comments made by Araceli's children and her friends. Warren said that his mom gave herself to the work of the church. That she involved herself in everything that the church did. She was always volunteering for everything. And his, her son said that pretty much his life as a child was church. And I think if you ask a godly mother what she wants to be known for, probably her priority would not be to be known as a good cook. Most of them would not say, well, I really want to be known as a great housekeeper or someone that provided clean clothes for my children. Now, folks, those are good things. And if you're a mother who does that, then great, you should do that. But the operative word here is actually mother. She is a mother, and motherhood is strictly about children. A mother does not want to be known most, mostly for baked chicken. And, and heaven forbid that she want to be known for her famous garlic mashed potatoes. No, she, she wants to watch, you want you to watch her children and she wants you to say about our children, those kids were raised right. Now since motherhood is children, then what is a mother's reputation to be judged by than how she raises her children? Being a housekeeper doesn't make you a mother. Doing laundry doesn't make you a mother. Cooking dinner doesn't make you a mother. Having a husband doesn't make you a mother. Children, that's what makes you a mother. And there isn't anything that measures the skills of motherhood but how well a mother's children turn out. And when a child misbehaves, who do we stare down? When a child throws a, a tantrum in the grocery store, who does everybody blame? I was at Safeway just a few weeks ago and there was a little boy who grabbed three shopping carts and took off across the parking lot, banging into cars, and his mother was running behind him, screaming at the top of her voice, Stop! 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 Who do you think was the attention? It was his mother. She's the focus. Now, I like these verses here because when Paul wrote to Timothy, 
He didn't think, what in the world was wrong with that boy's mother? How did he turn out this way? No, Timothy was a man of faith, and Paul knew where to look for this young man's integrity. It was to his mother that had planted seeds of faith in him, and it was to his grandmother whose sincere faith became Timothy's faith. So what should a mother be known for? Well, it's better to be known for faith and for raising children in the faith than it is to be known for the skill of sewing patches on jeans. Now let me just give you two aspects of faith that make up a godly mother's good reputation. First, a godly mother is known for sound faith. Now if you'll just take your Bible there and turn over to the third chapter and look at verse number 14. Paul wasn't through remembering Timothy's childhood. And in this third chapter, at verse 14, he says to Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing what? Of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From his childhood, Timothy knew the scriptures. Now the emphasis on this in this text is, is the scripture. And Paul wasn't writing to Timothy a, a sermon about or a letter about motherhood. I mean, his main focus here is the scriptures. That we come to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ from information that is contained in the holy scriptures. And you don't want to forget the next part of this, that that faith that we have must be in Jesus Christ. Faith for faith's sake amounts to nothing. Faith must be in Jesus Christ, solidly in Jesus Christ. And so Paul told Timothy, continue in that faith that you have learned. And it's the faith that he says you have learned from your childhood, which obviously throws the credit back to his mother and his grandmother. And it must have been a sound faith because it was the truth that led to his salvation. How will a child come to faith unless he has a parents, has parents who care enough to open the scriptures and shows him faith in Christ? Now, it's great when a Sunday school teacher can lead a child to Christ. Oh, it's great when the pastor is able to lead a child to Christ. But I'd much, much rather see parents do that job. Mothers and fathers, this begins with you. And at least plant the seed. At least do that much. Plant that seed that can be cultivated. That when you bring the child to the services, that seed begins to grow. And that faith of God is implanted in them. Faith may indeed blossom here. But to get to that point, the word has to be taught and lived in the home. A Christian parent, you must live that faith in the home or the child is never going to believe it. And I mean that, that teaching your children the faith means that you have to live in the faith. You can't teach it to them and not live it. Don't try to teach, it, teach them to be honorable and to be trustworthy while at the same time you steal from God. Don't try to teach them not to say bad words, but then you curse. Don't teach them that they ought to do good and do what's right and then live like a pig in the sewer of sin. Why? Well, you should have learned that already from 
your own childhood. What? Actions speak louder than words. That's the way we say it. Jesus said it another way. He said, how can you say that you love me unless you do the things that I say? Your children watch you. They learn from you. Anything that I say to your child in the hour that, or the Sunday school teacher says in the hour that we have him here at church, anything that we say here can be undone just like that when they walk through a home, the door of a home where there is no faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not just talking about the little kids either. Your responsibility hasn't ended at the little kids. You may have children that have grown up to disappoint you. You don't like their lifestyles. Well, at least then you can do this. You can be a significant contrast to their lifestyle that they have an anchor that they can turn to. That there's a place that they can go back to and say, that's what real faith is. That's what God wants me to be. Now, our Sunday school teachers have often told me that uh, they can tell which children get Bible in the home. They know which ones are easy to reach and grasp the harder things and which ones have to be nursed along as if they've never seen a nipple of truth. I'm amazed at some of the questions that come from our young people. Before I left, I was busy getting everything together. It was the Easter, Easter Sunday service. That was the last service that I preached. And Easter is always a very, very busy time. And then I was leaving that week and trying to get everything organized, make sure everything was going to be done, all the people in their places. And so I was just scurrying about the church and I was heading into my office and right on my heels was Joel. And Joel had a question. And he didn't care how busy I was. He had a question. So he followed me right into the office and he was going to ask this question. Now, now, what Joel had done, he had listened to the sermon that I just preached and something piqued his interest and something that he didn't quite understand and he wanted me to answer his question. Well, it turns out that whatever he was thinking about, I hadn't thought of. And so I said, Joel, I'm sorry. I don't really know the answer to that question just right now, but I'll be happy to check that out and let you know. And, of course, I was leaving, so I left. I forgot the question. I still don't know what it was. And so that young boy is going to go into eternity to get the answer, I guess, because I, I didn't answer it. But I'm amazed at this. I'm amazed the kinds of questions, sometimes hard questions, that come from our children. I hadn't been gone a day, and I received an email from, from Brother Tabor. And he said, Pastor, I know that you're on vacation, but Tate has a question. In other words, Pastor, do your job. Do your job, would you? We've got questions. You need to answer this. And, you know, I joke with Tabor a lot about that. I, I wish that I could say that Tabor is Moses, but Tabor is Martha. He's teaching Tate to be a Martha, too. They, Tate, and, Tate and Tabor are troubled about many things. And, uh, but that's good. I, I don't mind that. that. That tells me they're listening. They've got questions. The Word of God is in their home. Their home is permeated with the Word of God. And it's the sound word of God too. They're mulling over the scriptures. And here's the thing about this. The more that you learn, the more that you want to learn. The more that you read and study, the more that God opens your mind to the scriptures and there's more that you want to find out. And God increases the interest of your mind. And that's how you grow in the faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We, we all know that Primarily, that speaks of our initial faith, that faith comes by hearing the Word of God, the Holy Spirit working with the Word of God. But I'll also say this, that greater faith comes from hearing more of the Word of God. Many parents are sorrowful 
Their children aren't saved. Look back. How much time did you spend with them in the Word? Did you turn on the TV? Or did you read them the Bible? Now, if you want to be known for something, Mom and Dad, be known for leading your children through the Scriptures where they receive the wisdom that leads them to salvation. Secondly, a godly mother is known for sure faith. That is a convicting faith. It's a faith that rules your life. You know, I was, I was blessed to be raised in a home where faith ruled. By the time that I was 18 years old, I'd learned more than most people learn in a lifetime of preaching. My dad left an indelible impression on my life. I am what I am by the grace of God and by God's faithful use of a, of a father, a faithful father who taught me. And I also am what I am because God used a mother who surrendered to my dad's call to the ministry. Let me tell you just a little bit about them. I'm happy to talk to you about my family and my mother for just a moment. My mother and dad were saved uh, just a few years after they were married. My mom had no idea of ministry. She didn't know anything about God. She had no clue as to this huge turn that their lives would take. But my mom didn't fight my dad's call. She didn't fight the pressures and the scrutiny that's placed on a pastor's family. I didn't know how hard that was on her when I was a child because she never let those emotions out. She never said anything. She never showed anything. She didn't yell and fight with my dad over such things. She never said, you know, this is not the life that I signed up for. Here she was. She was a farm girl. Who, who didn't know anything about the Lord. And then suddenly she's thrust into this, this world of ministry that's completely unknown to her. And I don't mean to say that she faced it all alone because she didn't. She had the Lord. And there is no doubt that he made her a faithful companion to my dad. Today on this Mother's Day, my, my mom is 90 years old. She has Alzheimer's disease. She doesn't remember ministry days. She remembers her childhood. She remembers the home on the farm. And this is what she always wants to do. She always wants to go back to the farm, not even realizing that the farm and the house have been gone for decades. I remember my dad would often give his testimony. He and my mom owned a farm in central Kansas. This was right after World War II. My dad was saved after he got out of the Navy in World War II, and they returned to the farm. And it was a preacher's wife, a woman, that led him to the Lord. Part of his testimony was to tell about his mother. That is, my grandmother. My memories of my grandmother are, are, are very sweet. She was a godly, loving grandmother. But when my dad was growing up, she was a Christian, but she didn't live her faith. Oh, she, she, she wasn't immoral. But she didn't teach her children anything about Christ. None of the seven children in the family were saved. My grandfather was not saved. And then this is where the marvelous grace of God rained down on a farming community in central Kansas. It was in 1950 in Ottawa County, Kansas, in a little farming community that was called Vine Creek. Today you wouldn't even be able to find it unless you found an old local farmer who'd be able to show you where it was. But back then, it was a very busy place. 
And all around that area, there were farms and there were smiths that were living everywhere. See, Vine Creek is the area that my great-great-great-grandfather homesteaded in the 1860s. One of my cousins was saved. One of my dad's cousins, rather. One of my dad's cousins was saved and he became a preacher. He grew up with my dad. They were both pretty much alike. Neither one of them is what you would call a rabble-rouser. I mean... They weren't highly immoral men or anything like that. They were, they were good, decent men as far as you would count that. But my dad could not believe this, that this guy that he grew up with became a Christian and became a preacher. It just didn't register with him. And, and he became a preacher, his cousin became a preacher, and he came back to that little farming community and he preached a revival service in the old schoolhouse. The schoolhouse for my dad went to school and grew up, a one-room schoolhouse. And he preached a revival there. And on the first night that my dad went, he went out only out, of, went only out of curiosity. He went to see, well, what's going on here? He went actually to heckle, to make fun of his cousin as he preached. And he did through the entire service. He joked, he talked, and he laughed. He made fun of the preaching But then at the end of the sermon, the Holy Spirit gripped his heart and started to work on him. And he couldn't get up and leave. He was under conviction. And so his cousin's wife sat down with him and showed him how he could be saved. Now my dad believed, and make a a long story short for you, that sparked a revival in his mother's heart, in my grandmother's heart. Now she was already saved, but she'd wasted a lot of time and she'd not taught her children about the Lord. But then my dad got saved and then the Holy Spirit began to sweep through the family. My grandmother was energized for the Lord. Then my grandfather believed. And then other children in the family were saved, or at least they professed faith. And my dad's oldest sister became an extremely devout believer. His younger brothers also came to Christ. And I'll tell you the one thing that my grandmother always regretted was that she had not served the Lord when she was first saved. She was not a mother that taught her children to know Christ. And thank God for this. He was gracious enough to save my dad and sent that spiritual charge into my grandmother. And from that time, she lived a sure, steadfast faith. And that's the grandmother that I grew up with. That's the grandmother that I knew. One who was sound and strong in her faith. You see how important it is to have a reputation for faith? You don't want your kids to get out from under your influence without having seen Christ. And you don't want them out there in the world without an example of unfeigned faith. Perhaps God will be gracious to you and give you a Timothy, a preacher in your family. And so I trace my understanding of Christ back to the time before I was born. 68 years ago, my father was saved. And shortly after that, he surrendered to the ministry. And before he pastored his first church, and when he was in Bible college, I was born. And the first public place that I was taken was to the church. And the church became the culture of my life. A godly father and mother did that for me. I was raised in the faith. And more than 80% of what you hear me preach and teach in this church was planted solidly in me in those formative years. And rarely do I go outside of what I have learned, what I learned then, 
to preach to you, to prepare a sermon for you, because I had that foundation of faith. And that's what you get when you have a good church, when you have a good mother, and you have a good father that teach their children to learn the faith. Now, in Timothy's life, a godly mother and grandmother overcame this disadvantage they have of a blended family, and God rewarded their faithfulness. Timothy's dad wasn't saved, but I can tell you they worked on him. I'm sure they did. His mother and his grandmother at least believed this. God can save the child. Timothy's mind wasn't yet formed. He hadn't yet entered the paganism of the culture. Because they refused to let his mind be shaped by unbelievers. Now I believe they were faithful to the Shema. You know what that is. The Shema. The Mosaic command to teach the word of God in the home. God said this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I do need to hurry. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. And on thy gates. And Israel, they take these commands seriously. And they take them literally. I'm not going to address where they go wrong, but they certainly do take them literally. Today, they still bind scriptures on their foreheads in little boxes. And they tie leather phylacteries, they call them, around their arms. And interestingly, on every house, and if you visit in Israel, on every hotel room in Jerusalem, there is a little box that is called a mezuzah. And in that mezuzah, they put scriptures And that is to remind them as you go into the house that this house is ruled by the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God that much? That it rules your house? That it's the anchor of your faith and of your home? Does your faith or your home have that sure foundation? Is foundation, the foundation of faith solid enough that you are sure that you obey the word of Christ, that you come to church, that you bring your children, and that your faith is not hypocritical? Or do you sing, oh, how I love Jesus, verse number one, and verse number two is not enough, though, to bring my kids to church? No, I thank God I didn't grow up that way. Church is my life now because church was my life then. I go to church. I go to church. I go to church. That's ingrained in me because it was ingrained in my upbringing. I speak church. I mean, as much as I was taught to speak English, I speak church. It's natural for me to speak church. You know, as a side note, I've told you this story before. I'm not into stories, but this is just an illustration. In my first English comp class in college, my teacher handed me back my first term paper with a C on it. I'm too smart to get C's. I had a C on that term paper. I wasn't used to C's. Do you know what the English teacher wrote on my term paper? This sounds like the King James Bible. (laughs) And sure enough, I reread it, and my sentence structure, my modifiers, my cadence, it was King James Bible. So I blame my mom and dad for a C on my paper. Still today, in second drafts of sermons, I correct myself and I've hastily written down my thoughts in King James. Folks, if that's the greatest harm that you ever do to your child, the guarantee that they get a C from a heathen English teacher, 
you're probably headed for heaven. Your house is probably in heaven. Your reputation as a good mother is sealed. But again, I do need to hasten on. I told you I didn't know how long it was going to take, so bear with me just a little bit longer. There's no afternoon service. Let me just shift away for a moment from a mother's reputation to speak to you next of the relationship in the home. Relationships in the home. Faith must be lived out by obedience. The only thing that we measure faith by is the obedience to the commands of Scripture. So you, you can forget it talking about how great your faith is. You are a person of faith. Oh, you can forget about talking, talking that kind of terms, those kind of things, unless you are walking in the light of God's Word. Now pay attention because the Scriptures do command the way that the home is ordered. People reject God's rules for the home because they're people that have little or no faith. God is the creator of the home. Sociologists and evolutionists will tell you that the home is a social construct. In other words, the home is just part of an evolutionary social process. Now, I, I don't have time today to deal with primates to people and instinctive formation of societies. I don't need to waste time on that because the home is the direct, immediate creation of God. It was Adam and Eve, and it was a home. And there you have it. That's the first home. And so our faith, our Christianity, this Christianity consists of two things, the church and the home, God's institutions. Two institutions in the present hour are the church and the home. Those two exist within the kingdom of God. I've taught you before when teaching Ephesians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul speaks of church and home that I'm not sure if the home is emblematic of the church or if the church is emblematic of the home. They're so closely related, it's hard to tell. The family has to be right for the church to function as it should. And I'm not saying that a church can't function without every family being right, but can you imagine how hard it would be if no families in the churches were church was right? If there was strife in every family, if families didn't operate properly, how hard would it be to do ministry in the church? Now, let, let me explain that for a minute. How are we going to teach order in the church... When there's rebellion in the home. Why would people obey in church if they don't obey in the home? Why would they take one of those to heart and not take the other to heart? Well, let me finish with a couple of observations about the home. Good moms operate well in the home. What must a good mom do? Well, first, she has to love her leader. A good mom loves her leader. She must love the leader of the home. And, folks, that leader is the husband. Children need to see sincere love in the home. Now, my subject today is not men, it's not husbands, but the husband is to lead and the wife is to follow that leadership, excepting if he tries to lead her away from the Lord, opposes the Lord, because always our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy's mother was a believer in that society... Women knew who the head of the house was. But I can tell you that she would have bucked her husband, her unbelieving husband, if he tried to keep her from serving Christ. I know people disagree on this point. I've heard all the arguments about this, that the most important thing that you can do is try to keep peace in your family. Don't think about religion. Don't think about the Lord. The most important thing for you is keep peace in the family. But as far as I can tell, Jesus said that he would cause strife and division in your family. And if that happens, so be it. 
He never said, well, you need to endure suffering except when it happens at home. But I'm going to leave that, hopefully as a nominally, and just say that moms need to show their children, dad's the head of the house and she's to submit to his leadership. And that submission is a part of her love for her and a love for her part in God's economy. Now, let's cover this part, though, because people object to this strenuously when you say that a husband is or wife is to be submissive to her husband. And I want to remind you that a submissive wife does not mean that the wife is inferior. This is not about inferiority. The wife is equal to the husband. Her submission does not show inferiority. How do I know this? Because I know that Christ was submissive to his father, wasn't he? And was Jesus equal to his father? Absolutely he was. That submission was not a sign of inferiority. They were of one mind and one purpose. That submission is an example for our homes. So mothers, please God, please God by accepting the role that God gave you. And when children see that in you, they're much less likely to be rebellious to authority. They understand the chain. They understand their part in the family, just as a mom understands her part. So the wife is different. She's not inferior. I know my wife is different from me. Our bathroom proves it. I have a razor, a toothbrush, and a comb. She has 17 electrical appliances. Our bathroom looks like the appliance section at Home Depot. I have a medicine cabinet that's recessed into the wall. I had to buy her a four feet high standing cabinet with five shelves. And there are 125 skincare products and lots of stuff that only a chemist has any idea what it is. I don't understand why she has 14 different specialty types of tweezers when I have a pair of scissors that came out of the office. We aren't unequal. We're just different. But the Lord said there's got to be a head of the family. And he put that on me. And the godly mother accepts that. She takes up the role that God has for her. She doesn't feel oppressed by that. She feels liberated in the freedom to obey Christ. And I suppose Christianity is the only way that you can be a slave to Jesus Christ. To be a slave and at the same time be totally free. Now this isn't a message about family per se. And so I have to leave much unsaid. Uh, I, I do want to leave you at least a little bit of time to spend with your mom today. Just know that men may be hard to deal with. And a godly mother knows, that, well, she's got to deal with that. Much of the time, her husband is nothing but an extra child that she has to deal with. As you, as you know, my daughter Clarissa is having another baby, and she's going for the record for tax exemptions. And I said, wow, you're having another baby. That makes seven. She said, what? I've already got seven. I know her husband, so I know what she meant when she said that. So a godly mother will love her leader, and then she will, and, and get this, folks, as we close out. I keep saying that, don't I? We're close. She must love her Lord. A godly mother loves her Lord. And now we circle back to the beginning of the message. Paul said, Timothy, you have an unfeigned faith. Where does faith originate? Well, we all know it originates with the Lord. And I'll repeat what I said just a moment ago. Faith is measured by obedience. Love is measured by obedience. You can read 1 John to get a handle on that. Love is proved what you, by what you do. I mean, you can't say that you love someone and then proceed to do everything they hate. 
God loves obedience and sin is disobedience. So if you live in sin, you're never going to convince anybody you love the Lord. So in our text, what is the greatest proof that Timothy's mother, what is her proof that she loved the Lord? Paul didn't say anything about how much time she spent beating the streets and passing out tracts. He didn't talk about hospitality. He never said anything about how much money that she gave to the church and how many pies that she baked for the youth bake sale. No, her proof of faith was a young man named Timothy. That she taught him to know the Lord. And that child became invaluable in Paul's ministry. And I think if we read 2 Timothy correctly, we see here Paul handing over the reins of his ministry to Timothy. This is being handed over to Timothy to prepare him. And Paul is about ready to die. And it's Timothy who's the one who has chosen to receive the last letter of the great apostle Paul. And it's to Timothy that he signs off his life and says to him, Keep the faith. Always preach the gospel. Where did that start? A godly mother and grandmother. So let me say, a mother shows her love for the Lord by what she does with her children. Now get this again. Motherhood doesn't have any reference except in relation to children. We're not talking about being a lady Not talking about being a female or being a servant in any other way. This is talking about motherhood. So the only way that we can say that a mother proves her faith and her love is what she does with her children. Do you understand that? What happens to the child? And if your best efforts are put into the child to make them what they should be in Jesus Christ, that determines the success of motherhood. Some of you are doing pretty well. I see your kids, I see what they're doing, I hear the questions, and I know that their questions do not come from ignorance of the word. They come because there is faithfulness in the house that is inspired by the word of God. That inspires the questions. I want to finish with this comment. At the Shepherds Conference, just back in March, Al Mohler, who is president of Southern Seminary was talking about his love for the church. That was the theme of the conference. It was the church. And in a panel discussion, this question was asked to him, what was it that instilled in you a love for the church? And he said, that love for the church was instilled in me by my parents. He grew up in a Baptist church family. His father was a deacon. He said, we were involved in everything in church. He sang in the youth choir. He did all of the youth stuff. He said, we did everything there was to do. And he said, at at 15 years old, the family was sitting together and he just sort of announced that he was going to drop out of the youth choir. And he said, my dad looked at me and he said, what? You didn't join. And his point was, Church is our life. Church is our life. He loved the church because his parents instilled in him a love by example. I want you to understand something. He said, we didn't quit things. We didn't stop doing ministry. We kept on doing ministry. And when there was more ministry to do, we did more ministry. They served. They didn't join. They were in. Because they loved the Lord. They loved his church. That's what... Loving the Lord means. Now may God help us to demonstrate that kind of love in our families. 
What are parents? Stewards of children. Parents are stewards of children. You aren't parents without children. So how are you doing with that? Do they have an unfeigned faith because they learned it from you? Are they steadfastly obedient to Christ because they learned that from you? And do they stay in and do they keep on because they learned that from you? Better think about that. What are you teaching your children? Is it faith demonstrated? Faith demonstrated? That's a godly mother and a godly father. Let's pray. Father, we come to you confessing our sins, confessing our faults and not serving you as we should. Thank you, Lord, for the faithful families of our church. We thank you for mothers, good, godly mothers who raise their children in the faith. That's number one priority. Always number one priority. What would God have me to do? And anytime we answer that question with, I'm not sure that I did the right thing, and I'm not sure this is where God is leading me, then we better back up, start over, and obey Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for anyone here today who doesn't know the full pardon of their sins in Jesus Christ by faith in Him. Before we can be godly mothers, godly fathers, we must first have faith in Jesus Christ. Godliness comes from salvation in Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would open the heart of someone today to hear the words of Jesus, crucified on the cross, buried and risen and coming again. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Bless our mothers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.